Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 255 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. Excited to be coming back to you for this episode where we have a former guest coming back on the show with an update to her story. So we're just going to jump right into it and welcome Molly Dykstra to the show. Molly, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to chat with you. It's been a little bit. I know we've connected on email and electronically, but haven't sat face to face in a while, even though we're via Zoom, it still counts. So excited to actually see your see your smiling face. But today we're going to be catching up on your story. You first came on the show for episode 120 titled Chasing Boston, where we talked about your near miss in your Boston attempt back in 2018, BQ attempt back in 2018. And then we caught up in April of 2019 to talk about what's next and how to get you back to that goal. And now we're here to give the world an update and spoiler alert, you do have that BQ in hand. So I'm sure the world has been waiting for the update. Yeah, they've been waiting. I know. (laughs) Incidentally, you were also on episode 215 with Jen and Ruth telling more your complete story. So people can go back and listen to both of those if they want to catch up, but I love your story because it's the story of, of many in that Boston is not an easy goal, an easy task to get after. And for many, it takes many years to do that. And here we are two and a half years later with you finally having got it done. And there's so much in between to talk about that I think are indicative of many people's journeys. So Mm -hmm. I think they can relate. So My goal with this is to inspire those who have been through a similar journey or who are considering a similar journey so that they would stay with it too. We'll also, of course, be talking about your lessons along the way and then some next steps as you figure out what goal might be next. So let's dig in. First, I want to go back and catch people up, kind of give people the Cliff Notes version of your journey. And we focused a lot on it in that last episode where you raced in Mount Charleston in April of 2018, collapsed in the finishing straight at mile 26.0.2 from the finish. You collapsed, hit the pavement, ended up in an ambulance with heat exhaustion, dehydration. You were going to BQ that day if you'd finished that final point too, but your body, I would say, didn't fail you because it got you pretty darn far, but (laughs) something failed you. You basically pushed it all the way to the limit. So take us back quickly on that experience back in 2018, the heartbreaking near miss where you ended up in the back of an ambulance. (laughs) Um, You know, looking back, it's so funny. You can see a lot of the things that you did wrong. Um, So many things that I did wrong. Um, And I think that you think if you want it bad enough, you're going to get it. I had all the training. I did all the things that I needed to do. Um, but looking back, I'm like, man, I can see all the mistakes that I made and all the things that I did wrong and all the people that I didn't listen to because <laughs> they, <laughs> you know, don't go out too fast, drink electrolytes, <laughs> like things that are kind of common sense. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was really frustrating and it was really just kind of like being so close is just infuriating, you know, and it's like, you can kick yourself. It's kind of like after every race, I always think, oh, I could have gone an extra, like I, if I hadn't stopped at that water stop, maybe I would have 
um, gotten the time I needed, or if I hadn't done this, or if I did do this. Um, so it was just a lot of second guessing, a lot of frustration. And then just the rehab alone took, I don't know, probably six months to even get back to run, um, how I thought I could run. And so, um, go away. Oh, sorry. My dog's joining us. You um, had, you had rhabdo in the aftermath. Which, yes. Yes. So even walking tough. was super painful. Um, but it was one of those things that I think really lit the fire in me that I was like, I was, I'm this close. I feel like I can actually do it. Well, that's, I mean, that's awesome. And also interesting because, you know, that was three and a half years ago now. And in many ways that was a fork in your road. You know, some of people, some people would have that happen to them, be so close, literally collapse at the finish on your way to a BQ and, and they would choose the other way. They would say, look, I was so close. That was heartbreaking. It's not worth it. It's not worth risking my life literally over. So they would let it go for you. You obviously chose the other fork in the road, which is to use that as motivation to continue working. And now here we are three and a half years post that race with the BQ in hand. When you think back to that fork in the road for you, what, what made you choose the path to keep going? I think just knowing that I was close enough to do it um, and knowing that I had made mistakes, I think if it had been um, the perfect race, the perfect weather, um, if everything had gone right and I still missed it, I think I would have been like, you know, maybe this is just as fast as my body's going to go. Um, but I think the fact that it was really hot, you know, I could look back and, and say it was really hot at the end. I didn't, I didn't fuel properly. Um, I went out too fast, like all of these things, I think looking back, um, I'm like, okay, I, there's some, there's some potential there. And I think it just made me mad enough that I was like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this until I do kill myself. Like, <laughs> That's good. The good kind of anger. Yes. How does it sit in your brain now that you actually have the goal in hand that moment back then? You know, I think I'm glad for it. I, I think if I hadn't, I hadn't been that close, I don't think I'd have the confidence that I could do it. And I think if I hadn't made some glaring and obvious, like new beginner runner mistakes, I wouldn't know like what changes I could made or I could make to, to actually get it. So like fueling pro like properly and, um, what to eat or drink. And, and St. George was a similar climate to Mount Charleston. So I felt like I was like, okay, this is my redemption. Cause I'm never going back to Mount Charleston. Like, so this is my redemption at how, how I can make the changes and see if it's actually going to work. So you learned it was the <laughs> ultimate lesson, which yeah. would get you, ultimately to getting it done three and a half years later, but we've got to talk about the in-between because there have been ups and downs along the way, which is again, part of why I think this story is so relatable is many of us want the Boston journey to be linear in that, you know, you keep getting a little faster until finally you get there. And that's just often not how it works. So when we checked in last time in 2019, you were about to do the Vancouver half marathon. We had, at that point recently decided to switch you from the marathon to the half hoping potentially you could get a PR at the Vancouver half. I believe that ended up being a warm day as well. Catch mm -hmm. us up on what happened on that day in Vancouver shortly after we recorded about, I guess it was about a month later. 
Um, it was a, it was a decent race. It wasn't a PR by any means. Um, it was really hot. I like rookie mistake wore a long sleeve shirt and I was like, I'll just take it off. And I had safety pinned through both my tank top and my shirt. So if I took my shirt off, I'd just be running in not enough clothes. So I was like, well, just suck it up and run in a long sleeve shirt. Um, but looking back, it was like, my heart rate was over 205 for the first probably five miles of that race. So I think I was just so, I don't know. I don't know if nutrition was off or if it was like adrenaline was kicking in. Um, but it was hillier than I thought it was going to be. And it was just one of those races where, you know, you're going, going, and then you're like, I'm going to run out of gas if, <laughs> if I keep going this way. So I kind of downshifted and, um, it was a beautiful race. Um, yeah. but yeah, it wasn't what I wanted. So it was one of those where I was frustrated because it turns out my, my best half is still the first half of Mount Charleston. <laughs> when you go out too fast, that's what happens. But, um, I think for me, it, it helped as part of like, if I'm looking back on it, on it, it definitely helped me pacing wise and listen to my body and how to downshift when I need to downshift. And when I, when I have the capacity to go faster. So I think it was a good learning experience, um, on race day with the nerves and with Hills, um, cause it was a little hillier than we thought it was going to be, um, that, um, you know, just, just how to have control and to not get too, um, too stressed out in the middle of the race. Yep. And you ran 146 that day. Again, a warm day. I think one of your other goals was to have fun. So hopefully you also had fun in Vancouver that weekend with other other teammates who also went up. Yes. Many of whom were doing the marathon. So you got to have more fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so from there, and we all and we always knew when we chatted last that that was just gonna be a checkpoint along the way, that it wasn't a super critical milestone for you. And in our, in our conversation, we were talking more about, okay, well, when you gear up for that next marathon, which we were looking at the fall of 2019, what do you need to do to make some changes in order to give yourself another shot at the BQ at the end of 2019 or near the end of 2019, you ended up doing the Toronto marathon that fall. Mm -hmm. We had talked about increasing your days a week. We talked about making sure that consistency was there, adding strides to your program in that last episode. When, But again, spoiler alert, you didn't have a great day in Toronto. <laughs> another another warm day, unfortunately. You tend to attract these, it seems <laughs> like. So when you think about that block of training, which ended up with another marathon, and I believe you ran two, uh, sorry, 351 there in Toronto, mm -hmm. When you think about that block of training where you didn't get the result you wanted, but I believe did have some training breakthroughs, how do you process it? I was super frustrated. Um, it was still technically a PR for me, only maybe 30 seconds, but um, it's like banging your head against a wall sometimes, you know, and I just, I kept, I kept feeling like. I'm doing everything right. And why am I not seeing any benefits? Like I'm, I'm adding miles, I'm adding days. I'm trying not to get injured, trying to, you know, be a mom and a wife and have a job and do all these things. And I'm like, you know, I'm putting the time in and it's really frustrating when you don't get the, um, get the result that you want. Um, I remember in Toronto, all the people that were running the half, like 
on that first half of the run when we flipped and we could see people coming at us. Um, I was doing the plan of, I started, I listened to your podcast and I started 40 seconds slower than I was going to. And each mile I, I was ratcheting down by 10 seconds and at like eight, I was trying again, I probably went out too fast because all of my training had me at a three, um, a three thirty five marathon. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get down to like eight Oh five, eight ten. And when I was at eight 15, my body was like, this is we're happy. Like, this is where we're going to stay. This is what we're going to do. And I'm so stubborn that I was like, no, I need to keep going down to an eight ten so that I can hit my time. Um, and I think that that, um, looking back, I mean that again, going out too fast, but, um, it's frustrating when you don't hit, when you're training through the summer and in the heat of Texas, and it's like, you're still hitting your times. You're still hitting everything to have a result not be what you want. And, and it felt like, like Mount Charleston was still hanging on my back of like, my body just wasn't doing in the heat, what I felt like it could do. It's so, I remember seeing you at like 24, 25, and just the confusion was starting to set in and the disorientation and just like, it, and it was say it was the same thing as, as Mount Charleston. Obviously I wasn't about to pass out, but I was always towing that line of, and it was just really frustrating, you know, like I know what my body can do. And it felt like it was just, you know, it was just giving up on me. And so, yeah. yeah and that day I did the half and it was pretty decent weather for a half marathon. <laughs> if you were <laughs> finished before the, the temps increased, but it got into the seventies that day. Yeah. The half looked really fun. Cause when it split, you guys were at the finish line and we still had 13 to go and nobody stayed with us. There was like four fans. That yeah. <laughs> and I just remember cheering on the marathon course after, and, and I was still wearing my singlet from running the half and I was sweating in my singlet <laughs> in the sunnier parts of that course thinking, Oh man, if I'm sweating, not doing anything, then this is not a good day. And unfortunately for that, for many, it was a tough one because it did, it did warm up on the back half of that course. So, and I, and I remember you being very disappointed, rightly so, when we were chatting afterwards, but also trying to remind you to process the training victories. Mm-hmm. When, when you remember processing that race, what, what emotions did you go through? And I talk often about feeling all the feels, what were the feels for you after that disappointment? (laughs) Um, even though it was a small PR, it's always nice to just have that of like, okay, it wasn't my best race. Um, it didn't feel good. Like I didn't feel like, you know, those runs that you finish and you're like, that felt great. Like I felt like I got stronger and better. And that just felt like I was kind of like my gas tank was empty from like mile eight on, like, you know, where you're just like, I'm just going to plug along. I'm going to get it done. It was a mental, a mental challenge, probably more than physical, but, um, I was encouraged that obviously I was doing something right. So I was like, even if I just only take 30 seconds off, eventually I'm just going to get old enough to run Boston. You know, I, <laughs> by the time those two bell curves meet, maybe when I'm 60, then I can do it and we'll be fine. Um, uh, yeah, it wasn't like I was like, oh man, I'm going to give up running, but it did kind of take the wind out of my sails of just when you think you're here, I'm sorry, I know hand motions aren't great on a podcast. When you yeah. think you're like 
not fast, but when you think you're a strong and capable runner to just have like two really bad races, not bad, but two races where you just don't have what you expect. It just kind of takes you down a couple notches and you're like, well, maybe I'm not a, as good of a runner as I thought I am, or maybe I'm not, uh, maybe it's not worth my time Yeah, that I'm putting in 50, 60 miles a week. And that's time away from family time away from sleep. It's a yes to that. So it's a no to everything else. And so, um, it was discouraging on that front of why am I even doing it? But that only lasted a couple of weeks. Cause at the end of the day, I just really like running and I, I really enjoy the people I run with and I'm super competitive with myself. And so, uh, once the, excuse me, soreness was gone and the frustration, um, it, uh, it kind of started clicking again. <laughs> so for you, how do you put that failure behind you and then get, get to work to get, get to work again? What's, what are the mental hoops you get through to do that? well, COVID was awesome. Like <laughs> just, you can't run again. Like it's great. Like, <laughs> I mean, you did pretty much hit that right away. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was frustrating to kind of be stuck inside. Although my inner introvert was kind of digging it for the first couple months, but, um, kind of just, it helped me start over. There was no comparison anymore because we weren't running with people. I did a lot of miles. Um, on my treadmill at the beginning of it. I mean, I'd try and run every day. And then, um, when we started coming back, I think it was in June that we came back to running, um, just seeing people again, there were no races in sight. And so it was kind of this, like, it just took all the, um, the weight off your shoulders of trying to prepare for a race and kind of getting in my head and getting frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, and so I signed up for a few races Cause when we started back, we're like, surely there'll be races, you know? And I think at one point I was signed up for like six because they kept kicking them down the road. And I was like, well, I still, I'm in shape. I'm in a race. <laughs> so, um, right now I think I'm only signed up for like four, but, uh, <laughs> like, oh yeah, Kentucky. Like, I think I deferred yeah. that twice or, um, but I think that took that mental monkey off my back of having to do long runs too. Like, I don't think I did more than probably 14 or 15 miles, um, until I really started training for St. George, like on our schedule. And so I think I just kind of fell in love with it again. I just, I stopped thinking about the race and I just went out, had fun. I kind of got stuck in this. I had nothing else to do, you know, with COVID except for homeschool and stuff. And so it's like, well, I'm going to try and run, 40 or 50 miles a week and just get a good base. So that way, if, and when we start again, I can just jump in and it won't be, um, overwhelming. And so it's kind of how we started. And then as soon as races started going again, it'd been so long since I raced that I wasn't even sure it was like, it's like a baby deer learning how to walk. I'm like, I don't even know like how I'm going to do or what it's going to be like. And so um, going into Mount Charleston, I was talking to Talani for, um, one of the other coaches for a long time of just, maybe I'll just shoot for a five minute PR and then see what it feels like to run again, you know, on race day and have, cause it'd been so long since I'd been, you know, the be comfortable being uncomfortable phrase. It'd been so long since I'd been uncomfortable that I wasn't sure, you know, how I was going to handle it. You said Mount Charleston, you meant St. George, right? Oh, St. George. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Never. so you had ended up gearing up for St. George 2021 yes. in October. 
where you got it done. You ran the 335 you needed. So when you think back to the key training adaptations that you made, inclusive of whatever you did in COVID between 2018 and 2021, what do you think the big factors in your ongoing improvement were? I ran six days a week for the most part. Um, I take, I had to adjust the schedule. I know you said not to, but um, I work, I'm a, a children's minister. And so Sunday is my big work day. So instead of doing a recovery run, I, I would do like a walk, you know, like I get 12,000 steps before 10 a.m. on Sundays. So that felt like recovery for me, but I would run on Friday um, so that I could get my six days in. And I feel like it really helped running on, they weren't super tired or super, super sore legs, but I think running on Fridays helped. Um, and I really tried to fit in um, at least 50 or 60 miles a week. Um, and I think that really helped. Um, I don't know if well, that worked yes, for everyone, it but really helped. I mean, cause yeah. we, when we talked last, you were talking about four, maybe five, but then I might get injured. So one mm -hmm. of the things I pushed you on was increasing those days per week. And mm -hmm. in that episode, at least you agreed to do five, but you eventually got to six. So when you think about that transition, increasing the days, and I know there was fear about injury by increasing days, what did you find helped you do that without having those injury issues that you may have had in the past? Yeah. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm prone to stress injuries. Um, and I knock on wood, didn't get any, but it was slow. It was like a really slow progression of, um, and some days, and, and I think it helped that I ran on the treadmill. Um, it was so hot here that the only time, you know, especially in the summer, the only time that you can get a run in is like 4am. And there were just days where I just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So I dropped the kids off at school and then run on the treadmill and it was really old and really bouncy. And so I think it was just the cushion of that, not running on the road as much. Um, it also would just stop randomly and <laughs> the belt would go to the left. So it was not safe at all, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I think it was a slow, like a, maybe if I I'd have to go back and look at Strava, but maybe three to four month um, buildup of doing that where I'd go four days. It was almost like how we build up in training of like two hard weeks and then an off week. I do, um, two weeks of higher mileage and then back it off. And then two weeks of higher mileage and not, not by much, but you know, it's, and it's adding in it, for me, it was adding in the junk miles, like on Friday of I'll just do four miles, you know, just to get me to 50. And then the next week I'd be like, well, I can add two more on, one on Friday, one on Wednesday or something, you know, and just trying to get those, those days higher. Not junk miles, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you, and, and the treadmill option is a good point. I know that we have some of our athletes in our virtual podcast group that are relying on that in the summer as mm -hmm. well. And some have to rely on it in the winter months when things get crazy or icy or snowy outside. We don't have that problem here in Texas, but I can, <laughs> but I, but I do know that that, has helped some people in the summer months that have just struggled with the heat and humidity that we face. So that's a great tip being patient. I think that's one thing that COVID was in many ways, a gift for you is that it allowed you to build that consistent foundation. Because again, last time we talked about 
We talked about this cycle of ramping up too quickly, increasing mileage too quickly, getting a stress fracture, getting injured, and having that cycle repeat itself versus the very patient build that you're talking about now. Yeah. And I did take, um, if it's something helpful to people who do rely on the treadmill, is I was very cognizant of about two months before the race needing to back off treadmill miles and really focus on road miles. Um, my old treadmill was amazingly, um, non-reliable, but it would, I would always catch it. I would wear my Garmin while I was on it to make sure that like my stride was where it needed to be. Um, but knowing that I was going to be doing a hilly race, I knew that, um, that road miles were going to be way more important. And so I did try to do more of those, um, than treadmill miles, um, and I think that helped. I think it, it gave my body because I noticed I was more sore when I stopped because I was doing about three days on the treadmill and four days on the road, three to four days on the road. And I took it back to just one day on the treadmill and the rest on the road. Smart. Now, what about from a quality workout standpoint, anything to note there in terms of your build that you think was key? Um, you're going to laugh. <laughs> I stopped doing my paces based on what I wanted the goal time. I started doing them based on where I was actually at. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Novel, <laughs> novel idea. <laughs> I do everything wrong. So I'm just like the perfect picture of like how not to ramp up for a marathon. But this time I was like, well, you know, I'm actually going to, if I think I'm going to hit a 340, I'll actually do the, the 340 pace breakdown versus my 330 pace breakdown. Um and it weird it worked. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's good to hear that. I mean I talked about it in episode 246 where I talked about truths about training paces. Train where you are, not where you want to be. Right. Because that's so how you get where you want to be. It's amazing what happens when you stop overextending and you just lean into where you are. Yeah. I didn't have to beat myself up every workout either. I think that before like Mount Charleston, I was like, I got to get a three. Um, I was really hoping for a three thirty. So it was, I got to get a three thirty. I got to get a three thirty. So I'm going to train at these paces. I'm going to beat myself up. And then I would either get injured or it just wasn't realistic. And so this time I was like, well, it's hot out today. So I'm going to go with this effort and shocker works. (laughs) (laughs) It works. And, and just to be clear, we, we did not, I did not plant you with this conversation. This is all coming up independently. (laughs) So works, but yeah, it is amazing what happens when you actually don't press and you back off to where you are and then lean into that. It unlocks magic that would be unexpected because the intuition we think would tell us that you got to push harder, press the edges in order to get where you want to be. And that's just not the way it works. Absolutely. And knowing like in my Garmin, when I'd enter the workout in for quality work, I give myself a range. So like, cause I I'm broken and just really competitive. And so I would put in my really aggressive range like on the low end and then what realistically was my range on the high end. And so then when I would go back and look at the workout and see where I was hitting, it would let me know, like if I, if I had a great workout and I was hitting that lower edge, 
I just kind of mark it up as, okay, that was a really good workout. I'm making progress, you know, maybe, maybe do some speed work and and see where I am, like maybe do a, a time trial and see where I am. And if I am progressing, but if I was always at that lower end, it let me know that I'm, I was where I needed to be. And so it was kind of a good mental check of like, is, is the work, am I progressing and how did it feel? And then I was really honest with myself of how it felt like if I was not pushing it, if I wasn't on that line, but I was running faster, I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe we need to actually do a time trial and see where I am. Um, and if I am making progress. So I think that was super helpful too. Smart working within a range. We, we often want to look at pinpoint paces and think I have to run to the second, this pace and this workout in order to have success. When again, the reality, if you're really keying into efforts is that it's a range that matters. So that's another good insight. One of the other things I want to talk about was long runs. Mm-hmm. And I think we had a, I don't remember if it was text or email exchange about how far to go on your long run and whether or not to do 24 or, or do something else. So talk about that and how you made some decisions around your long runs. Yeah, I um, got the schedule screwed up <laughs> and did 24 too early um, in the training cycle. Not it was like a week too early. Um, and so you and I had talked about if two 24 mile long runs would be beneficial or not. Um, and you had said, and it was like our first nice day. It was like our first non 80 degree long run day. And so in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, I'll just, it'll be a confidence boost and it'll make me feel better about it. Um, and you had me do, I think it was 20 or 21 with quality. And I think that gave me even more confidence than doing another long run. I always tried to stay toward the long end of the scale because if mentally I go in knowing like, okay, today's 18 miles, but you know, there's always a range. And then if it's 16, I'm not feeling it, then I'm fine. I'm still in the range, but mentally I've already prepared myself for 18 miles. And at the beginning of the season, I had to bail on two 18 mile runs, like back to back. Um, I think I did like 15 and 16 or something like that. And so it was like, I think I spent a lot of the rest of the training season on long runs being really cautious and really like nervous that that was going to happen again. Um, and luckily it didn't, I really got after my nutrition and hydration plan. Um, but I think that not pushing to do too many extra long runs helped me keep some gas in the tank and doing quality during the run helped me to realize like where I was actually physically that close to the race. Cause I think that close to the race, you don't know, like you don't know where to push it or how hard to go because you've been doing so much training that you can kind of get lost. You know, you're in the, you lose the forest for the trees because it's, it's overwhelming. You have so much data to pull from that when I'm like, I don't, I, I think I can do, you know, a three thirty-five. I did my quality and it, it averaged, I think it was, you had me do a warm up and then five miles at marathon pace, um, two miles, um, easy. And then five more miles at marathon pace. And I did both chunks at exactly eight seventeen, And I think that put me at like a three thirty-seven. So I went in with a goal of like, okay, I think I can, I can do a 337. Uh, whereas if I had just done a long run of 24 miles, I think I would have really struggled with yep. knowing what was realistic for me to shoot for. 
Yeah, especially since it had been two years since you raced a marathon. And I know that brought a lot of anxiety for people as, oh, can I still do this? But I agree. The general point, I think we talked about this on our, on our last, in our last conversation is that for me as a coach, one thing I've learned through the years is that it's better to get more 20 mile runs, 20 to 22 mile runs, some with quality than it is necessarily necessary. That was redundant to, to get in a bunch of 24 mile runs. Those just in my experience aren't necessary. What's more powerful is the volume of 20 to 22 mile runs and doing in and adding in that quality mm-hmm. confidence running at pace on tired legs. Yeah, I would totally agree. I, I think the 24 was nice because when I finished it during the training season, I was like, okay, yeah, I can, you know, 26 won't be a problem, but I don't think during race day, I ever was like, yes, I know I can finish. Cause I did a 24 miler. I think I think the twenties with quality gave me more confidence on race day than, than some, you know, adding in extra 22 to 24 mile runs. Yep. You referenced dialing in nutrition and hydration. Were there any tweaks you made there? Yeah, (laughs) I actually started to eat and drink. (laughs) (laughs) Check. Weird. (laughs) It helps. Um, I, so before Mount Charleston, um, I just had straight water, like a lot of water, um, because I was in the desert and I knew I was going to need it. And, um, apparently I had jacked all sorts of my, you know, salt and sodium levels up, but, um, I started drinking liquid IV in the summer anyway. Um, and I think that was super helpful because I had probably four every day for the week for those packets every day for the week leading up. It's very hydrated. And, um, just knowing that like our, our flight and everything got messed up on the way to St. George. So I think that was the one thing I could control was my hydration and how I ate. Um, and I think that was a big game changer. And I took the Enduralites, um, uh, all summer, Cause it helped me to not, and, and I realized that I was progressively dehydrating myself. Um, and that's why I was blowing up on some of my, like that, that's those two 18 mile runs. Um, you can't just drink water the day before and think it's going right. to fix what you've done all week. And so, um, I think having a season and the month before, you know, I really dialed in and I think it was just all that rest, all the, the nutrition. And then I, um, during race day, I, I ate every, um, every other mile, I just had gummies in my hand and I would just eat two every other mile. And I drank Gatorade starting at the start, even when I wasn't thirsty. Um, and I think all those were big, um, game changers because like I said, I didn't do any of that in, um, St. George or in Mount Charleston. I just started running down the hill and figured <laughs> the faster go. I go, the faster I'll be done and I can eat when I'm done. <laughs> Lesson learned, but yes, the, the ongoing hydration, the daily hydration, I think is, is the big takeaway there, which is Mm -hmm. certainly you have to stay on top of it during the run, right before the run and all of that. But if you're, if you're behind going in, then you really can't catch up. And so that, especially in warm climates like ours, that daily hydration Mm -hmm. is so key so that you're always sort of tapped and ready and not, and we're talking about fluid, but also electrolytes. You got to have both to make it all work. Mm-hmm. What did you do from 
a fueling standpoint? Um, I had gummies that I took every two to three miles. Um, I started having less and less. I think you just have to do it in a way that it, your stomach doesn't get messed up. I could tell, um, I, I definitely trained with them to practice. Cause it's obviously you don't want to just start randomly eating stuff. Um, if you haven't practiced, but I think, um, mile, there were two really challenging uphill sections. And the second one was like mile 16 or 17. And I could feel like I was starting to get a little nauseous. And so I backed off just a little bit and started taking them like every four miles or so. Um, and I think that really helped. I also was very aware if Mount Charleston hadn't happened, I don't think I'd be nearly as aware of the early signs of dehydration as I normally am, but I stopped, um, I stopped sweating about 13 or 14. And so from then every water stop on, um, I was wearing a, a hat. I would take two cups of water, drench my hat with one and drink the other. Um, and it really helped. And I noticed I started sweating again at 16. Um, so I think it's just like really being aware of, okay, my calves are tight. That means I'm dehydrated, not, um, not just sore and tired. You know, it's, it's recognizing a lot of those signs before they happen. Yeah. Yeah. Not sweating being a early sign of heat exhaustion coming. So you're able to pour the water on and get some evaporative cooling happening and, and make that adjustment. That's getting into the race itself. I do want to give get the full deep dive, but take me to the week before, particularly related to your mental prep. You know, we're talking about it's been a couple of years since you've raced. It's been three and a half years since the Mount Charleston debacle by that point. And as we all know, we all have those nerves and you know and anxiety before a race, regardless. But you had more reason to have it perhaps than normal. So how did you, what were you feeling that in that vein and how did you deal with it? I was really hoping they were going to cancel the race. (laughs) I'm like, maybe I just want to do it. Like (laughs) we kept getting these emails. It's like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? Like we're extending the, the, the defer like time window. And so I was like, T we should just defer. It'll be great. Like, (laughs) But um, I went back and forth. I was really thinking um, like, okay, I'm in good shape. I know I can finish. Um, I don't know how fast I can go. And I never run. St. George, when my friend told me to sign up for it, was basically like, it's all downhill. It's great. And then it was like, as soon as I signed up for it, everyone's like, oh, you know, there's actually a ton of uphill in it. (laughs) And so I wasn't sure how to attack that. I went through all the old podcasts and couldn't find one that was like St. George specific um, of this is how you do your warm up miles. And so um, I really just kind of felt out of my element of just like Vancouver, I didn't want my heart rate to go crazy at the beginning of the race. I didn't want to push it too hard at the beginning. Um, I knew I wanted to go out slow and ready, but I really wrestled with, do I even worry about pacing? Like, is it just go out and have fun and race it? Um, and that's when Talani and I were talking a lot about it. And she was like, you know, you need to race it. And I, cause my, my initial thing was, I'm just going to kind of sandbag it, try to get a PR and, and see what it's like. And then the next one I can go out and race. And so, um, she really challenged me to go out and race it. And 
you know, when you're at the starting line and the gun finally goes off and you're like, okay, it was like, that's when my anxiety always kind of stops. I'm super anxious up and up till like, and especially with this one, you had to get on a bus at like three 30 or four in the morning. They drive you all the way up there. There's a long way. You don't start until seven. So I didn't know what, there's a lot of unknowns. I didn't know what nutrition was going to look like, what breakfast was going to look like and all this stuff. So once the gun finally went off, I felt a lot better, but Tulani, Tulani was the key. Shout out to Tulani. Yes. <laughs> Tulani is one of our Dallas coaches. I love Shoot. that she got you into the right headspace because I mean, and to me, the lesson there is when you're in your own head, get out of it by mm-hmm. talking to somebody who knows you. And in this case, you had a coach you can tap into, mm-hmm. but some people it may just be talking to a friend or fellow athlete to try to get out of your own head and, and get that more objective perspective. Right. Yeah. I would, she, I would have told you the same thing if you talked to me and be like, are you serious? Are we even having this conversation? <laughs> of course you're going to race it. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm sure she said something similar. Of course you're going to race it. Yes. That's awesome. Did you have any mantras or anything in mind going in? I didn't. I honestly, um, I think it was just maybe a mile or two into it that I purposely, I can kind of get into the numbers, kind of like we were talking about at um, Toronto, where I'm like, I'm going to follow this race plan. And then I'd start to get frustrated if I knew that my paces were off or, um, so it was a mile or two in that I was like, okay, I think I remember that if I want to hit a 337, I have to be, you know, here for this chunk of miles and here for this chunk of miles. So, um, I mentally broke it up a lot and, for me, that seemed to work. Like I didn't have any phrase or anything that really got me through it. Um, I just remember don't throw up was the only thing going through my head for the last like, two miles. <laughs> I was like, I just can't throw up. Just don't throw up. <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite a fight mantra. Don't yeah. throw up. I love it. I mean, that'll take your mind off of running. Right. But, um, no, it was, uh, I, so yeah, I didn't have anything like specific, but I think for me, mentally, um, breaking up the race into certain chunks, I felt like I was making progress and I had music that I really enjoyed while I was running too. And so that kind of kept my mind off everything. Killer playlist. So you mentioned 337. That was the goal because your target BQ is 340. And ultimately, so you wanted a three minute buffer. You ultimately got close to a five minute buffer. Mm-hmm. So you broke the 337 barrier. Give us the quick play-by-play on the race itself. How did it go? Where did you have the challenging spots and how did you push through? Um, the first, so I should look back at the topography, but there's a pretty, pretty big uphill. I believe it's at mile, it's either mile four or mile seven. Um, I think it's four and it's about a mile to a mile and a half of just straight uphill. And so I remember going out and seeing all these people just like blow past me in the first couple miles, but just knowing if I keep it easy and if I really, to use your phrase, bank energy and not time, (laughs) if I bank that energy, it's going to help. And so as soon as we hit that uphill, people started walking and, I mean, and I was just able to like, keep it going. So for me, it was a challenging uphill, but I felt like it was a big confidence boost 
excuse me, because I could, um, because I could do it. We'd done so many hills and I felt like I'm, I'm a stronger runner on hills than I am on the flat. And so just getting up, it was like a huge, um, it kind of gave me some wind in my sails and I felt like, okay, I'm still feeling strong. I'm still feeling good. Um, and then for every gosh, like for every uphill, there seemed to be a double downhill. Like there was one mile that I was like just holding on for dear life because it was so steep down, but there was a lot of up and downs, which I think really helped me carry through the race. Um, 16 was uphill and then 22 was uphill. Um, but with each one, I felt like it was just, again, chunking up the race. Like mentally, that's how I got through a lot of it. Um, and it was beautiful. I mean, it's, um, it's like cut through these mountains and cut through like, and there was a little bit of shade, which helped to the back half. There wasn't really, uh, any shade, but I think for me, um, it just kept giving me confidence that with every uphill, I'd have a little bit of downhill. I could see my pace and I could feel like internally, you know, when you're like, okay, I'm running out of gas or I feel like I'm, and I just never hit that. Like there was no wall, um, which I think was a nutrition thing and a training thing, but, um, it just felt like, okay, I've made it through that first eight mile chunk that I had in my brain. Okay. Now I've just got to make it to 16. And then at 16, I was like, I just have to make it to 22. And I saw a clock at, um, 22 and I was trying to do running math. <laughs> right. It was like, never works. It was like on the office when Kevin can only do math, if it has to do with pies, like I'm like, <laughs> Okay. So if I, if I'm doing an eight minute mile, which I was at that point, I was like, okay, if I can do an eight minute mile, that's 16 minutes, but I don't know what my chip time was versus my <laughs> time. And so, um, I was like, I think I can still do a three thirty-seven. Um, and I let up a little bit in mile 25. I was super nauseous. I don't know if it was that it, it kind of flattened out. Um, but it was really nice to see the clock, you know, as you're, as you're coming into that straightaway, um, because then you can actually see what my, um, like what your, uh, what the gun time was versus what I thought it was. And so, um, I could see that I was going to get under three thirty-seven, which was really nice, but yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was challenging. Um, I could see people falling off, gosh, starting at like 10, you could see people getting, you know, dehydrated and all this stuff, but it was really, um, uh, it was just really encouraging. Like with every mile that you run, I feel like you can see where the training has just, you're like, okay, I, I know I can do this. I know I can get to that next mile or with every uphill. I'm like, okay, I know there's going to be a downhill. And so I can bank on that. Um, and so it was really, it was a really fun race. And it was ended up hot too. Right. So mm -hmm. the theme, that theme continued, but <laughs> you managed yeah. it well this time what was the what were the temps at the finish um i want to say high 60s low 70s okay um so yeah, not I as mean, not as terrible as Mal, Mal charleston on that day but <laughs> but still pretty warm for marathoning yeah a lot of sun um and i think for me those downhills really help get my legs into rhythm um and if that's anything that maybe running on the treadmill has been similar but like once my legs, I feel like get into that rhythm of how fast they're going to go, they just kind of stay there. And so for me, it was just making sure I kept my nutrition and my hydration plan right. Cause I was like, if, 
if my body, I know my body can do it. I just don't know if my, like my lungs and my, you know, hydration stuff can help. And so once I figured that that was working, I was like, you can push through the pain, you know, for a mile, anyone can run a mile. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That, but that is a tactic, right? Just chunking up the race, as you mentioned. So you get to the finish line, Coach Tulani actually was there waiting for you, which is which is cool, especially now knowing the words of inspiration she gave you before. What were the emotions at the finish? Oh, it was awesome. It was, um, of course, I just, I'm a very positive person, but I looked and I was like, dadgummit, I missed this by 49 seconds. Like, because <laughs> it was 335.49. Um, but it was awesome. It was just kind of like, I didn't realize it, but it felt like I'd been holding my breath for three years, you know, and it just was finally this like exhale of like, okay, it is, you know, all that hard work and Mount Charleston and Toronto and Vancouver, you know, they were all just parts of it. It's easy to get stuck on one race and look at that and be like, oh, I'm so discouraged by that. Or, you know, by this one outcome or this one thing. And it was just so nice to see, you know, to cross that and be like, okay, like, I maybe couldn't have been here if it hadn't been for those three races. And so to just kind of take that deep breath and to be like, yeah, like, yeah, it's finally done. <laughs> I mean, I'm still going to keep running, yeah, but yeah. it's finally like, I can put that stake in the ground and be like, okay, I, I can stop chasing that now. Were there tears at all? I was too tired. <laughs> I was too dehydrated at that point. I don't think anything would have come out. <laughs> just a lot of excitement. Yes. I wish I was a happy crier. Those people are always so sweet. I'm just, I'm just not. So cool. I mean, so awesome for me to see and hear and be a part of small part of the journey along the way too, because, you know, I see this, I see stories like yours a lot and I see both versions of it. You know, there's one version where people have these setbacks and they let those setbacks get in the way and they don't continue to do the work and continue to stay with it. And they, sometimes they don't get it because of that. And, and that happens sometimes more often, you know, we get stories like yours where you have the setbacks, you keep doing the work and then you get the result. And it just, as a coach, it's just so satisfying to see that happen to, and inspiring. I should also say, I'm so inspired by this journey, by your journey, by similar journeys, because it is not easy to face those challenges over three and a half years, keep doing the work when no one else is watching all those treadmill miles. I mean, I think about that and I'm just, you know, I want to pull my own hair out (laughs) just thinking about all the treadmill miles you put in over the summer to get to this goal. And then it always, you know, it all pays off. It's just so, so cool. So inspiring. So kudos to you for getting it done. I, I pulled a quote from our last conversation. You said, he said, I want to say I've made a ballsy goal and I got it done. That was what you said when we were talking about your purpose for, for getting to this place. And so here you can now say you got it done. Really? Yeah. Cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It, uh, it's to me, it was more exciting. I think in mile 25 and 26, like it was that anticipation of like, <laughs> it's going to happen. It's It's like Christmas Eve. It's like, it's yeah. going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, um, but just to look back and to be like, I feel like so many people write off when 
stuff doesn't work out as failure. And it's not, I mean, it's just stepping stones. I'm stubborn and hardheaded and I would still be getting stress fractures and making, you know, stupid choices and races to not drink water because it's going to slow me down or, you know, like all these things, um, if I hadn't had those things. And so I like to think of that. They're just lessons, you know, um, that, that stubborn people have to <laughs> have you to learn. learn that it's, yeah. I mean, it's all part of the, I think if I just run, I have a friend in, um, from high school, amazing runner. She ran San Francisco the first time, minimal training in like a, a ridiculous time. And she qualified for Boston. And I was like, that's just not my story. I think <laughs> my story, I just have to, to want it a little more, but I look back and I'm actually really thankful. I think it, it made me appreciate it more. Yeah. You learned, you kept moving. So now that you've had almost a month to process, you know, what are your thoughts and feelings about that moment now? Um, the downhill kind of jacked my knee up. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> so I'm fine, but, um, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I think I look back and I'm, it still doesn't feel real, you know, like it doesn't feel, I was telling my husband, I'm like, I didn't get that sense of like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing to me. It's almost like, okay, now what's next? You know, like (laughs) what's the new goal? What's, and so it's, um, I love it. I love, I look back and it's just a stake in the ground of like, okay, like I'm going to run a slower race than that now again. Um, it's not like this is the peak of what I can do, but it's not the basement either, but, um, it's, um, it's something that I'm really proud of it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm really, um, I feel validated. I think yeah. in that. you should be proud of it. You use that word validation in our last episode too. So I'm glad you got that validation and you should celebrate it properly. I mean, somebody needs to throw you a little party over this. <laughs> if you haven't already had one, because that's something I talked about in my last episode is that too often we don't pause to celebrate the victories either. You know, we like to dwell on our quote feats or failures, but we don't often pause and just let the victories soak in. So I hope someone listening will throw you a proper Boston qualifying party. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk to Tulani about that. (laughs) Okay. So when you, and, and by the way, Boston, Registration opens for April in just a couple of weeks. So you're, the good news for you is that you should get hopefully an immediate payback on this. Yes. <laughs> result. Unlike many, you have to wait and wait and wait until, you know, they might actually get in or not, or, you know, the buffer, et cetera. Like these are all anxieties we have to face a little bit as we approach that registration window. I'm assuming you're registering for the April Boston. Can we confirm I I think I have to wait because I'll still be 39 in April. Oh, that's right. So, so you've got the, so is it the 40? Okay. So 2023 then for you. Yes. Got it. So you'll so register that's why next I'm running September. another race in June. Okay. <laughs> Improve the BQ. Just, just, yeah. Like get those 49 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, it'll be passed. It, that is one important thing to note here for everybody listening is that your Boston qualifying time is the time 
your is your Boston qualifying standard at the age you are when you erase that Boston. So it's not your current age. It's the age when you erase that Boston. So for you, April will be, you'll be 39, you'll be 40 in 2023 mm-hmm. when that new standard kicks in. So, and you've qualified for both. Well, I guess you've qualified for the second one, but not the first, which is a weird, right? weird in between place to be, but either way. And I've done a lot of research that the window, <laughs> I spent that whole afternoon Googling. Yeah. Apparently the window for 2023 opens September 1st yeah. of 2021. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're in that window. So anyway, so you'll <laughs> get to go in 23, which is great, but we have to wait a year or so a little yeah. under a year to so get that. Until respect. then I have goals. <laughs> so let's talk about the goals and what's next. And part of the reason why we're having this conversation is because you email me and you're like, what do I do now? And I said, well, I'll trade you some advice on that for coming on with an update. So here we are, we get to do it live. So let's talk about what's next. What are you thinking about? What questions do you have? Okay. So I don't want to screw up but I don't have the gift of another pandemic in two and a half <laughs> years to train. Right. Um, I feel like I was going to continue how I was going. I signed up for another race in June. It's downhill. I know they're your favorites. Um, marathon. You're talking about a marathon in June. Yes. In Denver. Um, but I don't know what to change. I don't know if I can like PR cause this was a 16 minute PR, which I feel like you don't bust two of those out <laughs> back to back probably, but who knows? Um, I am not doing cross training nearly enough as I should. Um, I know that. Um, You're talking about strength. Yes. Not, not cross training. Yes. Sorry. Any yeah, other yes. type of, I'm just yeah. running basically. <laughs> yes. um, Cause who has time to do both? Right. Um, but like, I, I, I know, I know you stopped doing camp gladiator, which I had advised you to do back then. And now you've actually done, but you haven't yeah. actually added any other strength. So no, no, we're, no, we're just... in, the lim- in, in the limbo of that. So I, I guess I am partially at fault for that one. <laughs> yeah. You didn't give me any other, <laughs> anything to supplement. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I want to make not all the changes, um, but I don't know if I need to make some, I don't know if I need to just stay the course. If I need to, I've been at probably a solid year of the same mileage pretty much every week, um, with like a 10 mile range here and there. Um, but do I need to add mileage? Am I good where I am? Do I need to add cross training? Strength. Strength. (laughs) Strength training. Sorry. We'll get the words right. But you know, like, is there, is there anything you would change, add, or modify? And I listened to your podcast of all the things that you shouldn't yep. do post PR, post marathon, yep. change it. Um, but um, I'm like, I don't know if I have another PR in me. I feel like I do. I feel like, I mean, that race felt great, and I, I felt like I left it all out there. But um, I don't know. You absolutely have more PRs in you. So the answer on that is yes. So when I think about this question for you, and if I ignore the fact for a second that you signed up for another marathon in June, <laughs> I, I still go back to something we talked a little bit on the last episode, which is that you still need to work on the speed side of things, mm-hmm. half marathon and below, 
Yes. Because at this point, and I would have to throw some stuff in the calculators and kind of figure out where we sit, but at this point, I would, I think, based on what I know, because you've run a 143 half, then your marathon represents your best race, really, right? In, mm-hmm. in the spectrum, if you were to compare the two. If you plug in your marathon, it would show you the potential to run half marathon and 10K and 5K times that you have not run, right? That you mm-hmm. haven't accomplished yet. So ultimately, to get that marathon PR working in another 16-minute chunk, potentially, then we have to shift that balance a little bit and make sure you can get those shorter, faster race times down below you know what your current marathon is so that we can ultimately go back to the marathon and run faster not that you necessarily have to do that but i think you're going to continue to see more incremental marathon bumps until you have some faster 5k 10k and half marathon training distances so if i had my way you wouldn't run a marathon in june you would spend the next eight months working on shorter stuff maybe with a speed cycle and a half marathon block in there if we could squeeze both but if we could only choose one then you know maybe we pick one of those two before you go back up to the marathon because that's ultimately your biggest weakness and challenge at this point is the shorter stuff we've got to work on that improve those prs in order to ultimately affect the marathon Mm -hmm. in a bigger way again so okay what do you think of that when i say that Well, that was one of my thoughts was because I think right now in training, we're doing a 5k block. Yep. Um, So I was thinking about doing those workouts now that I feel recovered again. Um, But I didn't know when, like if if it would be modified my like weekly mileage, like if you would suggest to keep my weekly mileage similar since it's been there for so long, it's just kind of my natural base. Yep. where you would like yeah i would keep your or at least you know once you're ready to build back i would build back to similar weekly mileage meaning medium long run similar other runs similar do the speed work your long run won't need to be as long obviously you could probably max that out at 12 to 14 for this window so your overall weekly volume may not be where it was but those other, you know, those days of the week in terms of how you build them up should be similar in distance, okay. especially that medium long run. And yeah, and then work on speed. And ideally, I want to pick a race that will give us a little checkpoint at some point. So maybe find something in Dallas area in, I think, maybe January, February timeframe when the weather's good and, and you can find maybe a 5K or 10K to go race in, in that window, or maybe even a couple of them, maybe one of each over a couple of weeks time so that you can flex that muscle a little bit before we shift back into marathon training, which is, that's about the time you would need to shift back into marathon training for a June race. Okay. I like it. And strength training. <laughs> what would yeah, you say? I mean, so the strength side, I mean, look, I know you're busy. You have young kids. You've got a lot going on. And so for me, the strength is more about, okay, what can you do that's sustainable? You know, let's start with sustainable. And that could be 
10 minutes of some basic exercises twice a week mm-hmm. that you do after a run. If that's all that's sustainable, then start right there. You know, and when I talk about basic exercises, I'm talking about things like prisoner squats, walking lunges, maybe some basic core work with, you know, working the abs. And that's probably it, you know, to start. And if you can just do that a couple of times a week in a 10 minute block, establish that consistency, then we can build from there. But there's no way if I told you to go do three times a week, 30 minutes a session, you'd be able to fit that in right now. So Mm -hmm. we start with the, the smallest sustainable block of things you can do, create consistency there, and then build from there. And if that means you know, you can do that now because you're not doing 16, 18, 20 mile long runs, mm-hmm. then do it. Uh, and, but if it doesn't, we can always add that later. I'm not super worried about adding it right now in this cycle. Just depends on what you think you have capacity for. We will need to add it, you know, and mm-hmm. that's probably something, you know, you could definitely think about for the next marathon cycle is making sure that you've got that built in. Because if I'm being honest, I actually don't care what you run your next marathon in if you're going to do this June race. I I really don't care. I don't know that it matters so much. What matters is, are you putting the other pieces together so that when we do go really, really go for it in another year and a half or whatever, you can put a big, massive step forward. Okay. Which to me also means, you know, if if you're going to do June marathon, fine. But I'd rather you do a, a a fall half marathon next fall 2022 than another marathon and then make Boston 2023 your next marathon after that. Okay. The plan was to do, I usually do the Dallas half um, every year. Perfect. So that's, yep. that'd be December. December. Of, yep. Perfect. Yeah. So. so we, yeah, we could roll off that marathon recover, do a little bit of base and then roll right into Dallas half training, which would be perfect. Cause I want to get you to running, I don't know, 135 half or something like that next December. That's going to, that's going to be where you're going to start seeing the bang for the buck in the marathon is when you can do something like that. Okay. So I like it. So maybe that's it. It's simple, right? Two things really over the next eight months, speed in this short-term period while rebuilding that weekly foundation and then a little bit of strength, a micro dose of strength, sustainably, <laughs> sustainably, sustainably, sustainably incorporated by next June. And that's it. The rest, you know, we keep doing what you're doing. Don't change anything else. Okay. You'll continue to benefit from the sustained work. So the next time you go after a marathon, I do think you can PR next June. I'm not discounting that, but. I just think the more important journey for you is that long-term view. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're still going to be able to PR into your 40s. So buckle up for that. Hopefully. You know, I, don't, oh. I, <laughs> I don't know if I shared um, last time, but I remember I was taking a class to a uh, running certification. And I was telling him at the time, the, uh, the instructor, all of my times. And I was like, you know, I just feel like, kind of like our first conversation. I go, I just feel like I'm banging my head against the ceiling. Like, you know, I can run a 21 minute 5k, but I can't seem to get anything going in the marathon. 
And he looked at my times and he looked at me and then he looked at my times and he goes, you know, maybe you're just not a marathoner. (laughs) (laughs) And so this whole Boston thing, like that was unfortunately the first thing I thought about when I crossed the finish line was I was like that dadgum guy, like I am a marathon. Like I can't do it. Fortunately that motivated you. Yeah. Usually go find find that guy and (laughs) send him your result. (laughs) I mean, one thing I've learned about you is that you are really, really tough and, and you can go deep, you know, as evidenced by that outcome in 2018, where you literally ran yourself into the ground (laughs) 26 miles into that race. I mean, so that's going to serve you well in the marathon and has served you well. So now know that that line, I mean, I wouldn't (laughs) recommend it. It was like a $50,000 ambulance ride, but like, (laughs) it's still nice to know that line. (laughs) You found it. Yes. Awesome. Well, there you go. Any other questions for me as we embark on this next chapter in your journey? Uh, now that I can, well, I'm sure I'll email you when I think of them, but okay. Speed cycle starting in February, marathon cycle, and then a half yep. in December. Yep. Yeah. And make sure you find those raises. We need those checkpoints in January or February. Okay. The last thing I have for you, which is really important, this will be your homework assignment. And this is a homework for assignment for anyone listening who has just accomplished a big goal or who will do that soon, which is that there tends to be a letdown after getting big goals, especially a goal like Boston, which is, you know, which is such a universal goal in our world, right? I mean, if anybody's training for marathons, oftentimes they're thinking about Boston, that becomes a goal because it's this external standard that we can hold on to. That is a worthy goal, and I'm not knocking it at all. I'm just saying it's a big goal. It's many people's goals. It's easy to wrap your head around. It's easy to get motivated by it. But oftentimes when we get there, there can be a letdown because then the question becomes, well, what's next? What's motivating me now? You know, you've had Boston for the last three and a half years to keep you going. Now you've got that in hand, and there's no obvious next goal right? In, in the world out there in the running world, it's not like, Oh, you get Boston and then you go do this Olympic trials. No, I'm just kidding. That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's the gap, right? It's Boston mm-hmm. and then Olympic trials yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of those external standards. And some people will say, well, New York qualifier, you know, that lives out there, but it's less known and not as often people chase it. So you don't really hear about it or know about it. But anyway, you have to have that next goal, not right now, but you have to, at some point over the next two to three months, get in your head, what's next and why, you know, why do you want that next thing to go chase? Mm-hmm. And it may be a certain time. It may be something else. I don't know. I can't write that for you. I can't figure it out for you, but you've got to find it because that's going to be the next thing that drives you for the next three and a half years or maybe less, but you know, for the next period of time to keep you going and keep getting you on that treadmill when it's, 90 degrees and 90% humidity outside. So, so think about that as your homework. What do you want next? I'm not talking about next June. I'm talking about the next big goal. And what does it mean? Because we've got to get our minds around that so that we can then use that as an anchor point, not just for that mental motivation, but also for, you know, how do we construct your training going forward? Because we have something in mind. Awesome. Yes. I have goals right now, but (laughs) 
which is fine. Okay. I'm not rushing you at all, but I'm just saying at some point you've got to wrap your head around that okay. because what I often see is a letdown physically, mentally, as people are struggling to grasp onto what's next. And that can be very demotivating at times. And I see people fall off or fall out of training in those moments. And so it's just something to put in the back of your head and marinate on. And ultimately you've got to get to that next thing that really excites you. Awesome. That's, that's going to have you run yourself into the ground in a future race. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can be like, I passed out during a half. That can be <laughs> yeah, Right. Awesome. Awesome, that's Molly. Better. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. So many good lessons in there for training and for inspiration. So thank you for sharing. Congrats on getting it done. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we'll wrap it there. Hopefully Molly's story has inspired you and or maybe given you some ideas about how to adapt your own training. With that, we'll wrap this one. It's been episode 255. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.